The appointment of Major General Debold Sinas as the new Philippine National Police Chief came as a surprise to many considering his reputation. The Manyanita issue really left a big hole in his career. But there's more to Sinas than the Manyanita. Looking at his service history under the Duterte administration, General Sinas, in many ways, embodies many of Duterte's anti-democratic values. In this episode, I speak with Ryan Macasero, our Cebu Bureau Chief and reporter, who has covered General Sinas with me for Rappler. Hello, I'm Rambo Talabo, Rappler's police and crime reporter. This is Rappler's crime podcast, Criminal. In this podcast, we revisit crime stories that are significant in understanding Philippine politics and society. This is our eighth episode, where we will talk about covering the Bold Sinas. So, Ryan, thank you for joining our program. Well, thank you for having me today, Rambo. How long have you been covering Sinas? As in, from, from, the, from the day that you met him when he went to Cebu, how katagal up to now? Um, well, I came back to Cebu from Manila in... March 2019, right before the 2019 election. And um, I had heard about the intense um, killings that were happening in Cebu City. So I had been following um, pre, uh, before that. And then mm-hmm. so when I came, I knew it was important to um, start covering the police and the crime beat uh, when I arrived and came back to Rappler. So starting immediately, uh, I started covering um, Cebu City and uh, Region 7 police uh, in the middle of the election season until mm-hmm. he left in um, to take over NCRPO in October of 2019. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when he was announced as the next PNP chief, what was your reaction, Ryan? Um, I was not too surprised because I know Sinas is one of the favorite uh, police officers of Duterte. And I thought, you know, it was only a matter of time. But at the same time, I was afraid. Um, because the time that he was here in the central Visayas, it was um, it got extra bloody. Um, there were a lot of violent incidents uh, here in Cebu and Negros. And um, after he left, it did get noticeably, noticeably quieter. Um, although mm-hmm. the killings continued, you can tell you you can really tell that it was not as frequent and as constant as before. Um, mm-hmm. What about you? Hmm. For me, actually, I was quite surprised. I wasn't anticipating President Duterte to go ahead and appoint General Sinas, considering the public flack he got with the Manyanita issue. And mm-hmm. for the past few PNP chiefs, President Duterte has been respecting the, the order of seniority in the PNP as he's done with the military. Um, if he's going to follow the order of seniority, he would appoint, he would have appointed um, Lieutenant General Guillermo Eliazar, who has also been a constant contender for the PNP chief post. So when he appointed Sinas, I was, I, was, I was quite surprised. But I knew also at the back of my mind that he's a big contender considering his close ties with people. So yeah. the president, we've covered one of his key allies, he, Royina Garma, who's one of the most trusted policemen of President Duterte and who's now PCSO general manager, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go to Ananaman. Um, considering these initial responses from us, let's go back to when we first met him. I, I guess I know I, I'll start off with me covering Kam Krame in 20, 2017 when I started covering Krame. Um, Sinas was already someone who's recognizable in Kam Krame as one of those generals who is very uptight when it comes to formations. Because when there are regular flag racing 
ceremonies in Camp Karami that happens every Monday and then you have press conferences after. So usually reporters already are there in Camp Karami to see the the flag raising. And after the flag raising, usually the the generals or a few of them um, um, just stay behind. And usually there's General Sinas pointing out that there are faults with the formations of policemen. And he he tends to shout at them. He's very strict with that. And I think that's a reputation that's pretty much stays with him all throughout his career that he's a very strict general. He's the strict commander when it comes to handling his own policemen. So okay. when there were controversies with his, you know, his inconsistencies with the lockdown, that that I guess was really a big smear on his reputation. Yeah. How about you, Ryan? What was your when was your first first meeting and what was your first impression of General Sinas? Um well, like like I said, when I came back, I started to look into um, the crime situation because I was um, watching it from afar, and I heard about the conflict between him and Mayor Osmeña, and um, there had never been a police to speak out against a sitting mayor in Cebu City, as far as I could remember. So I knew I had to go there and you know um, get uh, introduce myself and and try to rebuild rapport with the police because. Um, while I did report here before, it was in 2016, in the early days of the war on drugs. So um, it, it was different. The, the police officers that I used to know back then, they're no longer there. Um, it was uh, the director at the time was Noli Talino, who came from SAF, and we had a good mm-hmm. working relationship. And mm-hmm. when I came back, I knew it was going to be totally different. So I didn't know anyone. So I had some friends who were reporters. So I, I asked when the next press conference was where it was going to be and what time. And I just showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the first thing, uh, so after, uh, during the press conference, it was the normal like, you know, question and answer, addressing issues, this and that. And then after the press conference is when they introduce um, first timers there. So they introduced, oh, Ryan Makasero from Rappler is here. Uh, and then the first thing he said after that was, Rappler is here. I don't like Rappler <laughs> in Bisaya. So it was... Mm-hmm. Uh, it was off-putting, but I tried to hold my reaction because um, I knew I had to be prof- I had to, um, you know, take the high. Uh, um, I had to be professional about it, even if someone was being confrontational to me. So I just mm-hmm. tried to joke it off. But um, mm-hmm. at the same time, I knew that it, after he said that, that it was not going to be easy to cover the as to cover the police this time as it was when I w- when I did it in 2016. Mm-hmm. Ryan, could you walk us through during those times when he actually first assumed his post in Cebu and how was Cebu back then when it comes to the dynamics of the local politicians, most notably Mayor Tommy Osmeña back then? Kasi parang, from my understanding, hindi talaga dapat nag-aaway ang police at saka local officials. But, but I was also shocked back then when he spoke out against Mayor Tommy Osmeña and many contradictions. Could you walk us through what happened I actually forgot what happened. So, um, actually, it started with um, the assignment of um, Garma, Royina Garma, to Cebu City. That wasn't um, Tomas's choice for um, police. Um, and, we, and we all know how close Garma was as a you know, uh, police officer who worked in Davao back then. And it, it's normal, it's usual practice right, that a uh, local executive would get their choice of city police officer. And um, he was uh, 
of kind I, I believe he was offended by not getting his choice and at the same time um, he is a, a mayor who worked closely with his police previously um, in 2016 um, for example he had financial incentives for police officers and financial support for the local police who um, would capture or even kill um, drug uh, drug suspects or in the on the drug list um, top drug lords um, and uh, he he was really really tight with um, his first Cebu, uh, Cebu City police chief in 2016 Joel Doria and then I don't know um, what happened over the course of three years but it, it that relationship seems to have deteriorated starting with um, Sinas and Garma um, and it was the first time I ever heard him speaking out against you know um, human rights abuses and killings and he blamed the police directly for it and I believe Sinas and uh, Garma took offense to him blaming the police for it and that got to Duterte um, eventually the the conflict between him and the police and there was a press conference um, I forgot exa the exact date of it where Duterte threatened to slap Tomas Osmeña which was um, looked really messy because they used to be friends back in the day uh, when because when they were both coming up as mayor at the same time Tomas became mayor of Cebu City in 1988 uh, Duterte and Davao around 87 or 88 so it seems like the the bitterness of Sinas between Sinas and Tommy Osmeña crept up to Duterte yes exactly. okay so it's also show it also shows the closest of Sinas to President Duterte correct okay do you have anything else to, to to add to how you first met him any more me memories first memories in covering General Sinas um it was first yeah so it was first the conflict between between him and Mayor Osmeña and um, the the thing that I remember the most from the election was uh, police officers um, so there was a, a police detail assigned to um, monitor the street right outside Tomas's house which was strange at the time because um, Mayor Osmeña lives on a private street it's not a main road and um, the mayor questioned it and uh, Sinas refused to, um, you know, explain himself or provide a, provide an explanation for it. And um, I thought, you know, this was strange. And the media did not really um, push Sinas or Garma to explain why they would have a police detail in front of the mayor's house and at the same time claim that they were um, apolitical or neutral and not choosing sides um, in the election. And um, and the more that you know, I would try to insert myself and and push um, uh, critical questions. The more that he did not did not like that. And um, there were times when um, he uh, got angry with me for asking um, for asking questions that weren't on his agenda. Actually, th those are those are stories that really resonate with me too, Ryan. The way. Um, General Sinas isn't really completely friendly when it comes to answering difficult questions from the press, right? He tends yeah. to snob them. He tends to give them death glances when he receives hard questions. Yeah. And sometimes he doesn't really answer directly. When, when you ask him a serious question, he would brush it aside, give you a deadpan answer. Um, yeah. He might laugh it off and not answer directly and just ridicule you as a reporter. 
So those are actually values that we're seeing that are not values, but bad values that, that, that came from the president himself, who, who also attacks the press a lot. So we're seeing a pattern here when it comes to Sina's really being close with Duterte and also echoing the values that he has in uh, attacking the press. And also, as you mentioned earlier, these uh, questionable human rights track records, right? Yeah, exactly. Let's go through history under the Duterte administration. So he most notably went to Central Visayas. Well, I mean, he was also a crime lab director, but he didn't really have no, any notable cases that he handled when he was crime lab director in Camp Krabi. So I want to start off with Central Visayas, Ryan. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to Cebu for one week to actually look at the killings in Cebu. There was a period in time when yeah. there were so many killings in Cebu, and I spoke with his key ally, Rui Nagarma, who's our PCSO manager, and she really trusts Sinas, even though the data is quite concerning for human rights advocates that there are so many killings, they're really proud about their, their, their captures, their drug seizures, their anti-drug campaign. It's really intensified in Cebu under Sinas. And I remember, I remember distinctly Mayor Thomas Menya then saying that the killing started when these two came in, when yes. Reina Garma and uh, Sinas came in to handle the police force in Cebu. Um, yeah. do, do, is, that, is that true from your experience? Because I, I was only there for a week and, well, I saw the data, but I wasn't there to see witness every, every other week, every other day, the reports coming in, people dying. You were the one who was actually referring me to these reports to check them out. Yeah. Um, so, like when I came in, we I tried. Uh, we were um, close in contact with the Human Rights Group and the Commission on Human Rights. And um, on the story that uh, I, we did recently on compiling these incidences in the Central Visayas, I called the chief investigator for Central Visayas again, um, Leo Villarino, and he said that you know. Um, it was the first time in, in the course of his job that he was not able to access um, documents and um, information and conduct his parallel investigation um, into these incidences. And he did say that his office also witnessed an increase in killings in Cebu and Negros at the same time. And um, majority of these incidences uh, where the police were, um, their conduct was questioned, etc., were... Um, never completed and they were not able to get information. And this is different from the time that I covered um, the local police in 2016. It was very easy for me to get um, spot reports. Right now, um, I remember there were times when, um, you know, before I could just call a police office and they would text me a spot report. Um, recently, or under SINAS, uh, we would have to go there and we would have to say why we wanted it and they would give us runarounds and make it more difficult. So transparency definitely was an issue here at the time, in addition to the, the killing. So we don't know exactly who was behind all of them. We do know that, that the killings did increase during his time here. Okay, so it's really an increase in killings, which we also saw in Metro Manila during the first few weeks of the Duterte administration. It was actually, I think we characterized it as like, the, the killings were actually being transferred from Manila to Cebu, and Cebu actually at some point really surpassing Manila when it, come, when it came oh. to killings, right? Yeah, uh, based on our count we did in 2019, which was most of um, uh, Sinas' time in Cebu, it was 2018 to 2019. In 2019 alone, 
there were at least to 320 unsolved killings that we counted. And, and what was his usual excuse when it, when it came to the killings? Um, usually it was, um, you know, he, blamed, he would blame a drug cartel without providing substantial evidence that, that uh, this drug cartel even uh, was operating or in existence or um, had that much power or that they fought back. So it's usually that non-Laban, um, you know, uh, narrative that has been pushed since the uh, beginning of Duterte administration was um, pushed uh, was pushed in many of these incidences here in Cebu. The gravity of the problem is actually usually understated because of the Manyanita issue. While the Manyanita issue is quite sensational, the the killings are something that I, I worry that we're, we're we've become numb because there are thousands of killings that we have covered. Right. But looking at the numbers. There are 320 unsolved killings only in Cebu. Only yeah. in Cebu, right? Yes. What's the, what, do you have any updates when it comes to these investigations, Ryan? Meron bang nasolved data before he left Central Visayas or are most of them left open? Um, according to um, CHR, uh, and we spoke in May, none of them produced results um, and on the, of the cases that they were monitoring. Oh, that's really alarming. Yeah. So wala talagang progress. And these killings are usually graphic ones, right? Um, are there any cases that come to mind when it comes to these unsolved killings? Pero nakong mga ibang naaalala na binabaril kahit sa commercial centers, business businessmen, businesswomen na binabaril. Meron ka ba naaalala mga um, notable cases dyan sa Cebu? Um, yeah, so when I came back, I think the alarming thing was um, that a lot of these killings were happening in places that they shouldn't have been happening. Um, before, you know, a, a lot of these killings were limited to urban poor areas or the mountain barangays of Cebu City. But then we were seeing them happening in business districts, like near the Ayala Center. Um, the killing of um, the former Cebu City prosecutor, Mary Ann Castro, was near um, the Cebu provincial capital, which is a very busy road, um, and happened when there was a lot of people um, out at the time. So it wasn't just, you know, in the middle of the night. It, it wasn't just in the middle of the night. Sometimes it was in broad daylight and it was not limited to um, urban poor areas. But um, the one that sticks out in my mind the most was the Malubog killings that happened um, October 2018. So it was before I arrived, but the, the, the investigation stretched on until 2019. Um, but uh, this, this, was, this incident, there were seven people who were taken from the city and um, executed in um, Barangay Malubog, a mountain barangay here in Cebu City. Two of the victims um, survived, and both of them claimed that um, they knew police officers were involved in the killings. And the uh, Commission on Human Rights took these two survivors under their custody for protection, and they were willing to testify against um, the police and um, attest to their involvement in this killing. Both Sinas and Garma denied police involvement, although, um, and they uh, vowed to cooperate with the Commission on Human Rights' investigation. But according to the CHR, who I spoke to in May for, that, for this story, um, they had not done so. So there's, the CHR does not have, uh, did not complete its investigation and did not get any documents um, or any information from the um, police on their findings of the incident. Um, so the police's excuse for this incident was that it was an ambush at first. And then they said it was a shooting incident over a drug transaction gone wrong because they found illegal drugs on the scene. But um, there had been 
um, several incidences of um, you know suspects who fought back and uh, who allegedly fought back and said that uh, and there were drugs found on them, but it had been found it had been found that um, these drugs had been planted. So just because drugs were found on the scene, it doesn't mean that um, it's not enough to say that it was necessarily um, drug related. Um, and it, I, I think it was, this was, uh, incident was particularly frustrating because we had actual witnesses who were willing to speak up and implicate the police. And yet it had, it had not been enough to move the investigation forward. This was, um, you know, the, the Senate had called uh, attention of the police in this incident and still um, it has not moved until now. So um, it shows, I think, how much, how much, how can we actually hold um, police officials accountable when the an incident like this one, the evidence is so damning, does not uh, is not enough to convince you know um, our institutions to hold these people accountable. And the president actually promoted him to PNP chief, the general who let this happen yes. under his nose. You're listening to the eighth episode of Criminal, Rappler's Crime Podcast. How is it so far? If you want to listen to other cool and informative audio, check out other Rappler podcasts on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. This crime podcast wouldn't have been possible without your support. If you haven't yet, support Rappler by joining our community called Rappler Plus. Rappler Plus believes in speaking truth to power using technology for the greater good, to power communities to action. Go to rapper.com plus for more details. Interesting, really, for me too, is the, the, the openness for probing. And from the start, the Duterte administration has really been, um, how do you say this, antagonistic against the Commission on Human Rights. But sometimes, sometimes, may mga media. The media comes in and they get access to get more documents, to probe better, and to speak with witnesses and um, uncover corruptions, irregularities, abuses. How is General Sinas' um, relationship with the media when you covered him in Central Visayas? Um, like we said earlier, it's very um, adversarial. Um, he does not like to be scrutinized um, and he does not like critical questions. So uh, a majority of the reporters who are let into his circle, so he, it's common practice that uh, Sinas holds access to press conferences and um, is willing to, or is, is not beneath him to exclude reporters who ask critical questions from the press conferences and the Viber groups and data releases. Um, so uh, a lot of reporters uh, often are very careful about how they frame the question, about the timing of the question, and you know, uh, making sure that if they ask a question, it's not going to uh, piss him off, uh, to, for lack of a better term. Uh, there was one incident I remember where I asked, where I asked him about another killing uh, where there were, uh, this happened in, in February 2019 in Barangay Lusaran, another mountain barangay where um, two barangay tanuds and um, a wife were killed by, um, in a police encounter. So they, they were engaged in a firefight and Krame itself um, called for an, an investigation into the incident. 
And um, it was July already by the time I was asking about it. But um, Krami wrote the letter to, uh, uh, calling for an investigation in June. And I just wanted an update on what you know, PRO7, uh, Police Regional Office 7, had found about the incident. And it, it um, irritated him. He uh, said that uh, I didn't read the news properly, that, uh, that Krame already said that you know, the, the, um, they, were not, uh, they did not um, find liability of the police. But I did not see any documents that, bear, that said this. So that's why I asked about this. And he um, was very sarcastic about the way that he responded to me. And then um, I following that, uh, I was not told about the next press conference, about the next press conference or what time and whatever. And another reporter told me that uh, the one that I didn't go to, uh, he said, oh, walay rappler diri, which translates to, oh, there's no rappler here. Maybe someone is, or, so no one's going to ask, act tough today. So this is the kind of relationship that you will have with Sinas if you choose to still um, press him on issues that he doesn't want to be pressed um, about. And it's, it's very adversarial and antagonistic. How about you? Did you have similar experiences with him in Manila? Very similar experiences, Ryan. And even before, even before I covered him intently, because before he was really just in crime lab, before he went to Cebu, and returned to Manila. But because he returned in Manila as NCRPO chief, I had to be more involved. I had to really cover him intensely because it's NCRPO, Metro Manila covering police station. And of course, the first thing that we do as reporters when it comes to covering generals and areas is really trying to get into the Viber group. It's really the Viber group where all the <laughs> releases are, right? Yes. And uh, it was already a month into his term and I wasn't added yet to the Viber group. I've been bugging his, his um, PIO chief and it had it took me a month before I actually confronted his PIO chief and, and tell her, could you add me in front of me now? As in, I'm in PIO chief. Ma'am, add me yeah. now in front of me, in front of me. And that was finally when I got into the Viber group. And um, I really sensed that he didn't like us, Rappler critical media. Yeah. But then at the same time, I wanted to discuss to his adversarial treatment of reporters who are generally friendly with the police to begin with. There's really the controversy of, you know, the reporters who are staying in the second floor of this police station in Quezon City in Camuning, and he yeah. just asked them to leave. But these reporters have been covering the police for a long time, and and, uh, and the, the Holder Press Office in the second floor of the Kamuning Police Station. So that really didn't um, end well when it came to treatment of the media. And there were lots of op-eds written about Sinas. Even the Tulfo brothers really spoke to him against it because he attacked some reporters in that press club. So there's, there's really that adversarial row of Sinas with reporters. But at the same time, there is a special treatment to some other reporters, which is quite interesting as well. Kung talagang mm. ano niya, kung talagang favor niya. But most, really, talagang ano siya, he's pretty adversarial. I remember there's this controversy. He, he was already NCRPO chief when this happened, yung ano, Undas, when mm. one of the generals snatched the phone of a reporter, Jun Venerason of GMA, and he was so bent on defending. Uh, General Bathan, this this phone snatching general, and I asked yeah. him, sir, paano ginawa yung pa bakit bakit snatch yung phone? Tapos he he asked me to, ikaw nga magdemo kung paano snatch 
As in direct, that's something that you you shouldn't do when you're answering a question from a legitimate a legitimate question from a reporter. You don't do ad hominems like that. But for him, it it came naturally, and of yeah. course, gener- um naturally the generals laughed it off. But then again, the biggest the biggest controversies for Cenas is really beyond us, Ryan. Right? Yeah. First one, I guess, for Metro Manila, his biggest biggest um. Controversy is the Manyanita, which I mean, I'm not surprised that it really is a big issue for General Sina since it really shows hypocrisy in 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 the in the part of the police that the the Duterte administration has been arresting tens of thousands of lockdown violators, and then you just wake up one day and see photos of General Sina having a birthday party, no less than inside the police headquarters, having fun, having a Gotes 5-themed party, and policemen wearing um, civilian clothes, and giving him roses while people are stuck to their homes. I guess that was really, that really stabbed people in the face. I'm, I'm curious, how did you come across those photos again? And how did you think that, you know, that was... Um, an important story to write. Well, that th- those set of those those photos were actually um, shared to us by a fellow reporter who was afraid of writing a story about it. So okay. this this goes back to that question again on his relationship with the media. There's a chilling effect. Yeah. Um, this reporter I know is afraid of writing a story about it, and these photos were actually posted in their own PIO group, so it's publicly accessible. Yeah. These are photos that are seen by like tens of thousands of people who follow the National Capital Region Police Office. And it's been like a week after the posting of the photos that it was shared to me. But then the reporter wanted to do the story, but he, he could not because he was really afraid. So I had to take it upon myself and publish the story. So when we, when we released the story, the other networks followed, and that's how the Manyanita issue blew over and of course it goes back again to his his treatment of the media after we released that story and started this this story arc of his career he kicked me out of the viber group after <laughs> after that. fighting for after fighting for my position inside the viber group <laughs> he just kicked me out that's it and <laughs> after that these are really back-to-back controversies of general Sinas within months Yeah. Um, the Tagig incident where he harassed the family and it's caught on CCTV, him really pointing around, also violating lockdown rules by deploying so many policemen to ask a family to evict the family amid the pandemic. It's and I don't know, and for people it really is quite a show of force and uh-uh. and a show of cruelty that that concerned people. So with that, you know, antagonist uh, adversarial relationship especially you with Sinas did you have a hard did it make your job harder in in covering the police definitely it made it harder i mean I, you can also attest to this that we're used to it we're used to officials police officials being you know smug or not being friendly but then it, this shouldn't be this way it shouldn't be the standard it shouldn't be the the norm yeah but To a certain extent, the general Sinas, general Sinas has his own, you know, has his own level of really um, aggression to the media that I guess is concerning, and prevents you from really accessing documents, accessing contacts. 
So usually when I cover the police, I just go straight to the ground commanders. And yeah. usually the, the hatred of General Cena that I feel, it doesn't really translate to them. <laughs> Did you also feel that? Um, I, I, I'm not sure because there's a, uh, a lot of uh, people within the ranks here who are loyal to personalities. So you have to be very careful about who you approach. Um, so of course, they're not going to say out loud if, you know, they're not a, a loyalist of Sinas, but you kind of have to navigate your way. Um, and being that you're carrying uh, the brand of Rappler in a, in a province that uh, voted overwhelmingly for Duterte, it's always going to be a challenge, um, I think. But I remember um, one thing he said when he was here, which I'm curious about how it translated to when he moved over there was that um, he didn't like speaking to national media. He always wanted to speak to um, Cebuano media. So there was this regional factor because he was Bisaya that he preferred to speak to Cebu media. And then when Manila reporters would come to cover him, they would get, you know, second class um, treatment from him because he didn't like speaking into national media. He said they would take him out of context or wouldn't understand the local issues there. But when he moved to NCRPO, then the national media now is his local media in some way because he's in Manila now. So did you did you feel any um, you know uh, any uh, discrimination because you are not from Visayas or Mindanao or any or did he treat you know reporters who came from the regions better than Manila or anything like that? I think he was forced to relent and grant interviews to the national media because he needed it. Mm -hmm. Even if he tried to avoid, for example, exclusive interviews with big personalities or big stations, at the end of this, at the end of the day, he still appeared in radio interviews, national television interviews because he needed the reach. So I feel like even if he tried to give off that strong face he still had to follow up with you know speaking with the public because at the end of the day police work is still police community relations and right. the media is still really an essential part of it i i now want to, to go to ryan uh, another aspect of uh, policing that i guess should be discussed with general Sinas, and that's how he treats activists mm. how was he with activists in when he was in visayas um he was uh, head of, or he, um, you know, was the commander of the campaign that um, had a lot of um, labor activists arrested in Negros. And when, I think it was July in 2019, when um, a lot of the uh, farmers were red tagged uh, and arrested. Um, and I think he continued that, that policy in Manila um, but it was under his command that the um, anti-insurgency campaign um, led to a lot of killings in um, Negros Island. So also an aggression against activists, uh, a bigger divide between the police and activists under his, his watch in Central Visayas. Yeah, I remember recently he called, uh, he called activists their Dug Dug Trabajo, no? Yes, that's actually, that's a very notable quote that he really, he really got flack for that. He spoke at the House of Representatives and said that activists are dagdag trabajo, so just, just an addition to the job or a hassle. So, yeah. and I think that's, this is also translated with his, with, with the policy of the National Capital Region Police Office for 
activists um, when it came to arresting them. They were really strict when it came to arresting activists gathering even under GCQ, even if activists were following um, what do you call this social distancing, physical distancing, most notably in the Metro Manila Pride um, protest. They really um, arrested over a dozen LGBTQI activists. But then also, I have to also point out, to be fair, that when there was a massive rally in UP, UP Diliman, Uh-huh. where people followed the social distancing measures. They didn't commit any arrest. They, but still, people pointed out that it was quite harassing that he stationed a lot of policemen outside, right outside UP Diliman, which led to also arrests of activists who were on their way inside UP Diliman. So there's that as well when it came to handling activists. It's, 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 it's two-faced. His rhetoric against the activists as well as you know, overseeing cops who are aggressive when it came to arresting activists. Uh-uh. Even if, you know, the police are really promoting maximum tolerance for yeah. for before they make arrests. Because when you make an arrest, it's difficult for people to get out. Any other notable incidents, Ryan, when it, came, when it comes to treating activists? Um, well, in Cebu City itself, uh, the I think activism is not as strong. It was mostly... Um, in Negros Island, and it's not one incident that comes to mind because um, in 2019, it was several, and I think stretching back to 2018, um, where there were uh, farmers who were massacred. massacred. I, they might, they, um, a lot of them didn't, were not, um, you know, they, were, they did not necessarily belong to the CPP, but they belonged to um, sugar, uh, with sugar labor organizing groups. Uh, of the plantation workers in Negros. So that, that seemed to be the commonality between a lot of the farmers who were either arrested or killed. Um, and there are so many of them and they all get, you know, con- they all get compounded in my head. But um, yeah, it was, it was a lot. Uh, a lot of um, farmers in Negros Island who really had to face, in addition to their own poverty, violence um, by, we don't know yet who, did, who committed them, whether they were vigilantes, Um, Sinas blamed that blamed the communists themselves. Um, so yeah, uh, Negros Island in uh, at the end of 2019 was the uh, the most. Uh, I'm rambling now. Let me go back. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So they they have to add. Yeah, the or you do you want to add anything? Because I'm going to. I, I have to add one more thing for Metro Manila. Okay. For activists, it's a big case that's really pretty much um, still something that General Sinas has to focus on under his leadership in the PNP is the killing of Randy Achanis. Uh-uh. He's, a, he's, a big, he's a big icon in the, the, the activist community. He's, he's really recognized for his work for decades. And he was just brutally killed in Quezon City, which is also under his watch as NCRPO chief. And up, up until now, it's still unsolved. So I'm expecting him to really be, to really focus on this. I'm expecting activists to call him to, to solve this case. Do you have any anything else to add for your activists, Ryan? Um, no, I just hope that they change. Uh, I hope that he realizes the, uh, the importance of activism, that it, they're there to kind of balance out abuses and not necessarily there to antagonize police or um, harass police or anything like that. 
Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's all. So I wanted to go to my last question, Ryan. What can we expect from General Sinas as PNP chief? Uh, for me, I think it's more of the same thing. I mean, when you he has a pattern and he has a track record already, and it's like excusing uh, almost every incident where every incident where. Um, police are accused of misconduct or have done anything even remotely unethical, immoral, or possibly illegal. And um, that in itself, uh, coupled with the orders of a president who says to, you know, shoot, shoot drug pushers dead or shoot quarantine violators dead, um, I think it's a recipe for a very violent environment. Um, and, I, you know, I watched his uh, interview with Pio Antiveros on CNN the other day, and he denied direct involvement in the killings. And I don't think that's the issue because um, I, I agree that there's not enough evidence to say that he, he himself is directly involved. But I want, I hope he will understand that the issue is actually command responsibility. That when you're the head of any police office, whatever happens involving the police is uh, your responsibility. And every time there's a violent in- incident like this where your first instinct is to uh, excuse the officers instead of being more aggressive in investigating what actually happened or dismissing every um, violent um, encounter and blaming the other party right away and creating a theory that it was a drug cartel without um, presenting actual hard evidence to show that it was and not entertaining the possibility that there could have been misconduct. It enables and empowers more um, abuse. It empowers more violence and um, it even emboldens, um, I think, um, the, whoever these vigilantes are to keep committing these crimes. So um, I think we can expect more more of that, even without him necessarily personally ordering any of these killings. It will be violent, I think, and I think we should prepare ourselves for that. How about you, Rambo? I agree with everything you said, Ryan, but um, now to add, I guess I'm curious with how the post of PNP chief will test him as, as a general because like the earlier part of our interview now, our conversation, that he also had to adjust to the politics of you know the media, national media is really needed. I'm also curious with how he's going to deal with big personalities in, uh, in the national level, mm. how to deal with critics because you know, NCRPO chief isn't really the biggest position in the PNP. Obviously, it's the PNP chief. And the PNP chief gets the most flack. Any misconduct of any policeman anywhere in the Philippines, he has to answer to that. Right. He has to respond as the so-called father of the PNP. And uh, with his pattern of responding, I'm not sure if that can actually sustain him further. We've seen that this this smug attitude of General Sinas has garnered more hate from the public and also local officials and national officials not appreciating what he's saying. Mm-hmm. So I th- what, what I see is that he adopts when it's really needed, but I don't know if to what extent he is willing to change when it comes to the national level. But I guess I'm not completely hopeful or completely expecting any change given that he has the most important man on his side. Yes, mm-hmm. President Duterte to call on as his ally. 
Well, I'm not jealous that you still have to cover him now. So good luck to you, Rambo. <laughs> thank you, Ryan. And thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you too. Thank you. This has been Criminal. If you'd like to be updated on this and other issues, don't forget to follow Rappler and Newsbreak on Facebook and Twitter. And if you have suggestions about topics we should cover in this podcast, just send me a message. My inbox is open on Twitter at Rambo Reports. I'm Rambo Talabo. Thank you for listening. Subscribe and listen to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.